So there's a guy named Mark, and he just graduated high school. And the whole time that he was finishing high school, his parents kept telling him how excited they were about him going to college. They kept telling him how excited they were that he was going to go to college and get this degree and take on the family business. And no matter how much they talked about it, they never heard Mark saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to college. Oh, yeah, you are. not going to college. Yes, you are. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. You're going to be an accountant and you're going to take over your dad's practice. It's going to be awesome. And he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. But they never listened. They continued to plan and plan as if he really was going to begin college that fall. The letter of acceptance came in. I'm not going to college. They began to give him a dorm placement. I'm not going to college. They began to buy things, and they just all became in a big pile of all these things waiting for Mark to leave home and go to college and begin that part of his life. And over and over again, every day, Mark would say, I'm not doing that. As soon as it was about the time for him to leave for school, he packed up his belongings, put them all in a backpack, And he wrote a note and left it on the kitchen counter. And the note said, Dear Mom and Dad, I'm headed to the airport, one-way ticket to California. i got to go find myself. I'll call you when I get there. I don't know how much longer, but the mom came and walked into the house, saw the note on the kitchen counter, and as you can imagine, she kind of went a little hysterical. And she immediately picked up the phone and called her husband and said, you need to fix this. (laughs) And of course, the dad immediately runs over to the airport. Now, this is before all of the security measures are happening in the airport. And the dad rushes through security and he finds his son with his backpack and a really big grin on his face sitting there in front of the gate. And he says, dad, I'm going to go find myself. And the dad picked Mark up by the backpack and walked him straight to the bathroom, put his hands on him, turned him in front of the mirror and said, look, you are in the Dallas airport. Your name is Mark. I have found you. This is done. We're going to go eat with your mother. (laughs) I love that story. It's such a reminder that we all are kind of never sure what we want to be when we grow up. And we're always trying to kind of find ourselves. I don't know. My daughter, if you ask my daughter right now what she wants to do in life, she can tell you exactly. She'll tell you where she's going to go to high school, where she's going to go to college, what she'll study, the degree she'll get, where she'll work, and the state she'll live in. She's got it together, but some of us, maybe we don't all have those answers. Who am I? Who am I to become? Who do others see me as? What are those expectations of me? These are very typical questions that we ask ourselves, probably some form of those questions we ask ourselves our entire lives. And these past few days, past few weeks, as I've talked to people, I've been hearing this kind of identity crisis happening. And there are different questions how people saw themselves a few months ago has changed. I thought I was married and now I'm divorced. I 
thought my family was finished and now I find out we're expanding. I've never wanted a pet and now I have a few. I thought I was healthy and now I'm not. I thought people loved me, I thought they accepted me and now they don't. I thought this is what I was happy with, but maybe it's not. This is how I thought my life looked, but now I'm not so sure. There are lots of questions of identity that are swirling through the air right now. And I am not ready to say that it's the pandemic that has caused these questions. These are probably questions of our identity that have been swirling in the air around us for quite some time. It's just the last few months have sped those questions a little bit, um, sped them up to the forefront of our minds. I don't know where you are, but you may be having questions of what these last few months have done and what the next few weeks are to look like for you. Who was I, who am I, and what am I to become? Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20 say this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whenever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Who do you say that I am? Even the disciples had these moments of an identity. There are two sections of this scripture. And yes, of course, you know I'm gonna tell you, you can also find parts of this scripture in the Gospel of Mark. Lately, I've been preferring the Gospel of Matthew on this, and it's because of the two sections. The first section is all about the identity of Jesus. And then the second part of this is the response to that identity. And so here we are, that first part. Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? The disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, others say a prophet. There's a moment of silence. And in my mind, I can see everyone just kind of shifting, a little uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks at one person. Jesus looks directly at one and says, but who do you say that I am? And instinctively, completely unscripted, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in that very moment, 
Simon Peter answered for himself. He didn't answer based on what other people's expectations were. He didn't base on, didn't answer based on what other people wanted for him. It didn't matter about his parents or his friends or his neighbors or his community. All of a sudden, in that one moment, Simon Peter found his own identity in Christ for himself. It was that moment just between he and Jesus in the mirror saying, you are found, Simon Peter. This is done. And the second part of that story is the response to finding that identity. Jesus said, yes, Simon Peter, you know this because God lives in you and you know it to be true. And so now I will build my church on you for you are a rock. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and nothing will prevail against you, not even the gates of Hades. Because Peter was strong in his faith and strong in who he knew he was of God. He became a rock for others. Actually, this scripture is kind of famous. It's important in the life of a lot of artwork because anytime you see any type of artwork depicting Peter, you always see him holding keys. There might be keys around his neck. He might be holding them in his arm or his hand, or it could be on his belt. But somewhere, if you see a picture, you know it's Peter because the keys of the kingdom of heaven are somewhere on it. It's also a pretty important scripture because this is the stuff people fight about. This is one of those scriptures, believe it or not, that people argue about. In particular, um, leaders and theologians in the Catholic faith and our Protestant denominations argue over the interpretation of this text because this text is known as apostolic succession, which is a really big way of just saying that the Catholic Pope is in direct line to Simon Peter. And the Protestants, we expand that just a little bit to say there are multiple people there anyone who's been ordained, any minister, we all fall straight in that line with Simon Peter. It's nuanced enough just for people to be an argument about it. And of course, there is another part of the text where people say, well, is it Peter the person that makes the church or is it the testimony and witness of Peter that makes the church? These are things that church people argue about, and I know it's surprising. I know you would never think church people argue over anything, but sometimes it happens. (laughs) But here's what I want you to hear. Ultimately, with all the differing opinions, with all the arguments, we all go back to Scripture, to this particular Scripture, for one thing. Church. These past few months have left church unscripted. This is the first time church has looked like this in any of our lifetimes. And we've all been learning through it. We've all been finding an identity 
within it. Of course, worship has changed too. Worship is not church. Worship is just an expression from the church. But worship has changed as well. We now can be in worship live. We can be in worship on demand. We can be in worship on a Sunday morning or a Thursday evening. We can be in worship in our pajamas or our nice clothes from work. We can be walking our child for worship. Or we could be in our car listening to worship. There are all sorts of ways now to be in worship. And there are also all sorts of ways to be church. Because as best as I can tell, no matter what version of scripture you read, Jesus never says that Peter is the rock of a building. Jesus never refers to church as a structure. Jesus talks about church as people. And Jesus talks about church as the community of those people. And Jesus talks about church as the manifestation of the response of the identity of Christ within all of us. And so, yes, church looks differently. Sometimes church can look like um, a big freezer out in our parking lot. And yeah, that actually is happening right now. It, we had to have a portable freezer just to hold all of the food we need to feed people in the community in about two weeks. And church looks like making sure that we have a lot of third graders who needed their Bibles and they got them. And church looks like our youth directors and our youth counselors checking on kids to make sure they're okay. And church looks like people leaving their houses and spending the night in another church with people of family promise. Church is that quiet place in you where you know that no matter what these last months and weeks have brought, that you are still a child and a person of God. Deep within, that's your identity and that's your core. And then responding to it and being a community together. I think about the word that the scripture uses for church. And the scripture word is actually ecclesia. And what that really means is to call out. So church really is to call out. It's to call out the name. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I heard another person say that church is like when you talk about God so much, you'd think God was your neighbor. <laughs> I like that a lot too. The way that we will talk to one another using our good manners, the way that we deal with one another, and the way that we live with one another, that makes church. There are so many issues right now that are nuanced enough just for us to fight about. I know it's a shocker, but people actually fight in the church. They disagree in the church. 
And we don't always agree with the people in our neighborhoods and communities either. There are issues of race. There are issues of politics and there are issues of pandemic and there are issues of all kinds. And the way we speak about it, we are portraying church every time. So Chapel Roswell, I invite us to be church together. I invite us to be known as the place and the people that will represent an identity of reconciliation, of love, of forgiveness, of commitment, and of grace, and of ongoing conversation. I invite us together as a corporate community and as as individuals to put ourselves right up in front of that mirror just with Jesus. And when Jesus looks at us, we know the answer when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? May we be found and may it be done. Amen. There are so many programs and ministries that have not stopped. Sure, our campus has been closed, but that does not mean God's work has stopped. We are continuing programs. We are continuing service projects. And one of those is My Neighbor's Pantry. And if you are driving around campus, please come check out this beautiful freezer that will be here for about two weeks. Don't forget, while you're on campus, go drive by our wonderful giving garden and see what's growing. We have a beautiful prayer walk on campus. If you're on campus, go and look at the prayer walk. There are so many ways that you can engage. And one of the ways that we're able to continue these ministries and programs is through the response of our giving. And so whenever you give using the ways on your screen, please know that you are a part of all of this identity of RUMC and Chapel Roswell's campus. And so I invite you to be a part of it and to support these ministries. Don't forget too, on November 1, we really are going live in person. You have an opportunity, if you wish, to come onto campus and be a part of our in-person worship service. Our time is changing. It's going to be 11.15. And also, I'm going to remind you, we don't have children's activities or Sunday school classes or nurseries. And so we want you to bring those kiddos right here to Chapel Roswell so that we can all be really loud, really loud, have lots of wiggles and lots of fun, and just be in worship as a church together. If you want to come and join us, you can check out the website to see what to expect. But do not worry. This in-person worship, that's just an additional way to worship. You can still be on demand and online whenever you choose to be. In-person is just one more way to be in worship with us. And so now, can we take a moment and go to God in prayer together? Gracious and Holy Lord, we thank you. We thank you for making us the rock. We thank you for trusting us to be your church. And if there have ever been times this week where we have faltered, forgive us. And put in front of us a new opportunity to be church again. 
And Lord, for people who have had bad experiences with church or who have unhealthy thoughts of church, help us to be those ambassadors to bring about a new image and a new reflection and a new place. And Lord, for the people who have gone through life events these and during this season, we ask your blessing upon them and put in front of them friends to help them on that journey, whatever it might look like. And continue to help us care for one another and be there for one another. And Lord, whenever the Spirit nudges us to do something, may we act on it. I know there's a reason. And Lord, if there is ever a moment in this next week where we doubt, if we doubt that we are good, and if we are doubtful of your love, and if we are doubtful because of what someone else is saying or treating us, may you bring us back to the core May you bring us back to you so that we may be strengthened and nourished and given new hope. And Lord, while we know it's so hard sometimes to be church, may you show us ways to make it easier. And may you show us ways to be stronger. May somehow you just link all of our arms across this world together in your name. And we ask for prayers on every service that is calling upon you in these moments, whether it's online or in person or on demand, whatever worship service is happening right now, calling on your name, unite us to it and bless it. Amen. And now, seek to live as Jesus taught. Use your gifts well and recognize the identity of Christ in you and in all you meet. Amen.